Hello, and welcome to Season 4 of the E3 Podcast, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This season, we're going to talk about building science, female entrepreneurship, and the built environment. Prepare to get nerdy. So hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited. Today, we're going to talk some building science, but we're also just going to talk about housing and an awesome new startup. So I want to introduce um, Ryan and Topher from Corum um, and have them tell you first a little bit about who they are, how they got to where they are, and what Corum is. So uh, I don't know who wants to go first. Which one of you wants to go first? I suppose I will start with this one. Um, so yeah, so I'm Topher. I am a teacher and now I guess affordable housing developer as well. I'm still a teacher, so I still have a teaching job. And Quorum was born out of like um, a bunch of different strands. And so I'm gonna try to be succinct, right? Cause like nothing's ever as simplistic as like, hey, this is it, it's complicated. But um, I was learning a lot about the intersections of race, economics, building, gentrification, and all of these things were kind of happening in my own neighborhood. And as a teacher with a wife and two kids, I was also making a very like low end salary where um, it just wasn't enough. Like I was not making ends meet. I had started building, this is back in 2018, started building furniture out of construction waste, uh, drive by dumpster diving dumpsters. And I was collecting all this construction waste and kind of getting to know construction sites at the time. And I was building dining room tables and benches. And eventually in 2019 turned that into like I wonder if I could build a whole house out of all this construction waste that I see um and so I built this 90 square foot salvaged wood tiny house in my backyard um that I was hoping to be as I saw my own neighborhood gentrifying neighbors being priced out of their former um rentals I was like I I could just have this be a really cheap rental for somebody in the community and I knew nothing of code I knew nothing of building science I was just like you know, I could just put up four walls and a roof, put a composting toilet in there, hook up a garden hose to my spigot and call it a day. Somebody will have a house, right? Um, so I did that and it was it was really cool. Rented it out for three months until my neighbor called the city and was like, hey, um, this dude has an illegal house in his backyard. So the city came out and like, she was spot on. Like, it was like, for sure illegal. Like, nothing was level. Like, yeah, it was, it was not good. It was not good building. Um, but that happened at the the same time the pandemic hits. And so I find myself teaching from home with all this time to read the ICC code book, to read the UDO, the Durham Unified Development Ordinance, to learn about how do you properly build a building, worked with an engineer and an architect, and I kind of had my own designs. I've always loved to draw and design things. Um, And so I tore that house down, reconstructed and redesigned a new place, got it properly permitted, did it the right way, and then had that up and running and rented by August of 2020. And initially I thought like, this is the quorum house. Like this is it, it's just like a one-time thing. But then as like more conversations started to happen as the housing market through the pandemic starts to like ramp up and I I start to see this, this process of people getting priced out happening more and more, it became just incumbent upon me like, okay, I've done this once, this thing that I've done could be replicated, right? And I had a neighbor on my street get evicted and then transition into the backyard house I just built. And so automatically this became in my mind, this could be an anti-separation, anti-gentrification type of organization. And we could center the experiences of marginalized folks. And I could try to, then like all the things about economics, like I could try to build an economic system that centered the folks who typically aren't centered when it comes to capital and money and real estate investment, right? And try to center their experience in this. Um, And particularly along racial lines for for black and brown folks, which was like the majority of who lived on my street. Um, And so in March of 2021, after renting out my backyard for a few months, um, I started to kind of reach out to some investors and see if I could turn my like one little idea into a business, manage to get some funding from some folks we got started on four houses and then as construction was starting those four is when I met Ryan and Ryan I'll let you share your portion of like how this has been for you since last year I, I so I came on in, in uh at the end of 2021 or so uh, it was super organic we have a mutual friend um that knew that we would align like you know philosophically and just all in all the ways um, and so 
it started uh, very small. It's just like I was kind of injecting ideas like, oh, what about this? What about that? Um, a lot of different uh, higher, broader, more conceptual things about like, you know, we talk about trying to find ways for tenant wealth uh, generation, for shared equity, for all these different types of ways that we can re-envision looking at um, how folks coming onto property and participating in the in the equity building of that property can also in the in general uh, what we saw in Durham was folks would be um, in that relationship and then at the end of it they would be either evicted or you know given uh, some type of time frame um, that they needed to move out so that the person who had owned the property um, would be able to uh, because of our real estate market either renovate and re-rent it at a much higher rate or you know, sell it for, you know, rent, renovate and sell or just sell for equity, you know, like whatever. Um, and so that caused a lot of the issues that, you know, Topher saw, it caused things that I saw. Um, and I was working as an engineer for a while. Um, it was a contract position. So every year kind of came back up and uh, for renewal and it, uh, I didn't have the most amount of security, uh, I felt like, oh man, at any moment in time, I could lose this position um, and what would I do? And so I was like, okay, I need to, I need to try to purchase the house that I own. Um, and then I need, I need to have like an income generating property on it. And that way, if I did lose my contracting job and didn't have anything immediately, I could just, you know, do something I could, I could go and fall back on other careers that I've had, whether it be working in construction or working at restaurants, whatever. Um, and so a lot of that alignment is, is how quorum really resonated with me and, and a lot of the different um, things in the ways that I thought. Um, and so uh, when the pandemic started, I actually had that same engineering uh, job um, and actually right, like literally February of 2020, I decided that I wanted to make a change. Um, and I wanted to, to explore some different things uh, the pandemic kind of put the the squash on that because you know in person everything wasn't happening and so I went back to construction that I knew and started doing construction again um, and was a construction manager for a local design build firm um, and that gave me a really good solid foundation um, in the local market uh, local connects as far as um, you know, contractors, trades folks, um, supply houses, vendors, all these types of things. Um, and so kind of pairing those two things of, you know, I've been thinking about how we do wealth creation in other and different ways. This construction background of how to schedule a job, how to get people here to do the work and do good quality work and things like that kind of put us in a, you know, in a really good partnership between Topher and I. Um, I think my path as of late has been a lot of uh, building science related so as with that engineering background like i'm always about that you know and and a lot of that just jives with the things that i think intuitively make sense um and so it's been nice to kind of you know it's been years since i've done my in-school engineering where i did like you know whether it's building load calculations or whatever to like now where i'm like oh i'm actually building these things that you know in school we did like just book calculations for or whatever um, and so it's, I've done a lot uh, as far as just in school things, but then also I spent a lot of time on, you know, like most people do on YouTube or various websites, um, journal like construction, all these types of, you know, different, different resources to try to figure out ways to build uh, well-performing structures that are durable um, and that service a community that, you know, historically has, uh, been underserved and has had health outcomes as a result of it. You know, whether it's most of our things in this area, residential structures are built on crawl spaces um, over, you know, no vapor barrier, just dirt. Um, and so that indoor air quality, mold, um, you know, Topher mentioned carbon monoxide, a lot of systems that aren't functioning, like all these different things that um, a lot of different environmental justice and, and health justice issues and equity issues that relate to this can hopefully um, not totally be solved, but find some, 
you know, amelioration by us building in affordable high performance things. So um, whether it's just things that are take a little bit more detail, but aren't that much more expensive, like air sealing and things like that. Um, and just trying to be thoughtful about the ways that we create and the structures that we build. You guys are totally speaking my language on so many levels, right? So I love that what you're doing. I love that you're putting it together. You were talking about construction sequencing and construction management. I think if you made a YouTube channel and you just explained that to people, that would be huge. Um, that's like a totally sidebar, right? Because I love, uh, would love if you guys talk about your projects, right? Because this is super cool. So um, they actually just wrote an article about a project that I was doing here, which is a community housing project. And we build the same house, right? So you have your, like your quorum house, right? that was in the backyard. We build the same house over and over again. The homeowners actually spend every weekend for an entire year building six houses, right? So they build their houses for each other, right? It's a it's an investment. Say you're not super handy. Maybe you're the person that watches everybody's kids, right? Because I mean, everybody's got a, a thing. They have a site supervisor that teaches them how to do it. I mean, they dense pack the cellulose in their own walls. They do their own caulking and air sealing. Like they learned what a continuous bead of caulking is, right? Like it's a school thing. Um, and then they move into their houses with like forty to $60,000 worth of equity, right? We're, we're talking, you know, a 1200 square foot, three bedroom, two bath ranch house, right? We're talking a family house. We're talking, it sounds like obviously a little bit bigger than your 90 square foot quorum backyard house, right? But this is like for specific up here, whatever thing that they're doing. I think you could do this on so many scales. We have so many people who come to us who are like, I want like a really small house, but not a tiny house on wheels. I don't want it to go anywhere. I just want a small house and people don't do that. Right. So I think that there's this huge, there's this huge uh, area of, of underserved market, you know, specifically. But what I love about that is that they, they've learned how to build equity into their houses, which is super cool. And what you said about like just picking up construction waste, I'm also reading this book called Garbology, which is all about our obsession with trash, right? Which also has a big relationship to like where they are and different communities and what we've done with it. And like depressing that like a hundred years ago, they were better at recycling than we are now. Like they separated out food scraps from the waste stream or they separated out, you know, construction materials. And so there are so many things. And um, for a number of years, I did um, large scale energy engineering for public housing projects before we started recording. You were talking about that and like, you know, just experiences. People are now starting to associate our building materials and where our buildings are with our health. And I think what you're doing and how you're highlighting that is really important, you know, that starting to connect these things, like it's important. And how do you build equity into it for different markets? And how, how do we do that? Like one of the things that's underserved in the construction market is they could deconstruct things. I did a podcast, I think it was last year, two years ago with a company called, you know, deconstruction Inc. But like, he said half of the struggle is there's nowhere to take any of the stuff. So it feels terrible because you're getting rid of this totally usable stuff, right? You, you dumpster dived, you went around and you picked up stuff and maybe it wasn't legal and maybe it wasn't quite exactly what you wanted to do, but you built a structure out of things that you salvaged, which means that there's things in just our general construction that can be salvaged. And, you know, there's, I have homeowners through our self-help program who build tighter houses than some of these big developers out there just building crappy things for, for people. And the rental market in, since the pandemic has just been, I mean, you're, you're totally right. It has been, it's, I like people buying up stuff and then doing Airbnbs and getting rid of valid rentals for people to actually physically live in. Like, it's just, I don't know what the answer is and I don't know how to solve it, but I love that you guys are thinking about it and like, throwing some solutions out there. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I think for us, I think that 1200, I mean, you mentioned that, I mean, I'm super excited to hear more about the, uh, the program that you, that you worked on. I, I think you, you mentioned, you know, 1200 square foot, three bedroom. I think that's, we're hoping to have a, a new tax amendment passed right now. Our ADs are limited to 800 square feet, uh, but that new text amendment would bump them up to 1200. Um, we do have a small lot option where you can build on 2000 square feet, um, up to 1200, uh, square foot house on the 2000 square foot lot. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think that's our goal. Our, our goal is to 
mean, there's a sweet spot, right? Where you can, you, you've mobilized the folks, you've got the materials on the site and you put up the structure. And that could be a 40 square foot, 90 square foot, you know, 1200 square foot structure, one bedroom, no bedrooms, three bedrooms. What makes the most sense to be able to provide affordable housing? And I think when you look at it, at least the way I've seen it, it, it seems to be like, we like to really get to a small footprint, three bedroom kind of structure uh, that meets a lot of the, as far as the cost of construction, what the mortgage would be, and then what a, an affordable version of rent would look like. Um, those, that kind of seems to be the sweet spot where things line up. Yeah. And I think what's really successful about it or what I've found is that we build the same house over and over again, right? So you might have one construction manager who really knows how to do it. And you may have three or four different versions, like you said, what fits here, what's the size, you know, one bedroom, three bedrooms, whatever, but you build, if it's a three bedroom and that's the answer, you build the same three bedroom kind of like over and over again. And that's where the scale and the efficiency comes in. That's honestly how you know, developers who are building either good things or crappy things, that's how they, how they do it really well is that they've, they've created this thing and they repeat it over and over again. So, I mean, we have people on our teams and the article they wrote, there's this, you know, wonderful woman who agreed to be uh, interviewed for the article. And she's like, I never thought I would see myself doing these things. And you, you know, you see her operating the saw, right? Like she physically put the two by fours up in the structure. And so it's, it's both, you know, doing things you didn't think you could do, but also building things with people who didn't have any trade skills in this environment before, right? And so access to the ability to do that, you know, and it might become a future job for someone. Someone might find that they really love it, right? And as as you guys probably well know in your area, we experience this everywhere is we need so many people to join the construction industry. I mean, whether they want to go, you know, up and do, um, you know, project management for large companies, be electricians, put in solar installations, they want to frame houses, they want to do all these things. And so opportunity and access to that is severely lacking, right? I mean. Yeah. And I, I think also the, the, the scale that we're working at, I feel like we can, we can take a little bit more time with some of those details and get the building science really tight. Yep. And then, you know, then you're actually have a training program that puts people out there that have maybe a, a little bit more attention to some of those important details. And so they can hopefully maybe spread that same gospel out in, into the, into the trades and things like that. And I, you know, I think job training and job readiness and things like that would, would be a, like, is, is our stretch goal for us for sure. I'd, I'd love to see that happen to, uh, I think there's enough folks that um, need a, a good solid kind of career foundation and you can go different ways. You can be a laborer, you can uh, you can be a manage, manager, you know, you can learn all the different aspects of it by going through this process in a residential fashion. And it, it converts over to commercial and things like that too, if you really wanna keep progressing and moving up the ladder in different ways. Yeah. I think, um like just to add to that is like, because you mentioned this, there the like re the repeatability, and that there are builders who repeat the same thing. Some do really good builds, some do crappy ones, but they just are repeating in order to scale. And I think kind of where we're at too is like we're we're iterating right about our design. Like we've had a, a design that we've gone with, and it's changed and morphed every time we've built it as we notice and pick up on things that weren't right the first time. Like you know, I know that three years from now, I'm gonna, if I, you know, if the money's there, I'm going to go back to the first house that we built and be like, I want to fix this, this, and this, because, you know, <laughs> it was not quite what it should have been. Um, but in line with education though, like you want to teach well and teach right, you know? And so I think we're in that space of trying to like perfect what we're doing and then be able to bring in folks. Cause education is huge. I think people don't know what they're able to do. I didn't know what I was able to do until I kind of went out and did it. And so many of the folks I talked to, they're like, I never saw myself as a landlord. I never saw myself as somebody who could like do this thing. But once the imagination was unlocked that, hey, this is a possibility, people are like ready and able. And it's been really cool to see people kind of like pour into quorum who are just like wanting and willing to help in whatever ways that they can. Um, you know, I've had like lawyers come and be like, you know, this is like really cool economic things that you're trying to do, shared ownership, shared equity. Like I'd love to like bring some of my legal mind to this work 
and and folks just like and everybody has a different role to play because it's so intersectional um but i think education is such a key aspect of what i hope that eventually we can do um you know like in, in a real way because we're doing it um but then like to do it actually is what we do uh, is going to be something i really hope for as well it's a stretch goal for me too yeah being a teacher probably it does that i teach some classes too so i'm always like big on the education like to you know talk about building science like talk about how it doesn't have to be super complicated talk about how you know a homeowner with a caulking gun can make vast improvements in you know some the comfort or whatever in in their structure and like you said you didn't know what you were capable of till you went out and do it. And so, you know, my mission or part of what I do with my podcast is just to share, right? Like you don't know you can do it until you've heard that somebody's done it. Right. And then, the, well, they've done it. Well, okay, maybe I can, I can try it. Maybe it's not as scary as it was. And so I love that the educational component is something that you want to kind of add on to the overall goal, because then other people can see what you're doing, you know, and, um, I think it was in Detroit, they did the tiny home for the homeless population thing where they had all these like empty lots in Detroit where they had just like Cash taken home. down a lot of structures. And they're like, okay, we'll build equity into these, these rents as you can afford more rent, you pay like a little bit more, you come out of it with this. I, like they created a neighborhood that, that did, you know, solve some need at the time. And like, Nobody knew about it until they talked about it, that they were doing it. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. And then I read about it and I was like, this is super cool. Like, how does this work? And, you know, some of that works better in areas, obviously, where you have access to transportation um, and other ways to get around. I think, you know, the big issue that we have here in a rural area is you still have to have a car. And that is challenging, right? That's challenging for some people. So. Um, that, all- was that Detroit? Was that Detroit? Was that Cass Village? Was that what it was called? I don't remember what it was called. I'll have to look up the the woman who uh, kind of, I don't know that she like spearheaded the whole idea, but she wrote a book about it. I was like, has this tiny home village thing. I'll have to, okay. It's probably on my bookshelf somewhere. I'll have to dig it, just dig it out <laughs> um, and share it with you guys. But like just cool, innovative ways that people are looking beyond what's the standard way that we do this. And the fact that you're bringing building science into it as well is super exciting to me um, because now you're thinking about that on the next level too, right? Like, okay, maybe there's, you know, you were spurred to do it maybe because people were getting kicked out of their apartments in your neighborhood, right? So like you need to provide some kind of housing. But then to think about that on the next level and say, okay, I need to provide some kind of structure, but also a healthier structure, like a structure that you're not going to move into. And like, um, they looked at uh, the, all the little Katrina houses that they built after the hurricane all had mold and terrible things. And it was like, oh my gosh, like, well, that was the opposite of what we wanted to see happen there. Um, you know, and it, it, it was a cool idea that maybe in the end didn't get executed really well. So I love that you're bringing that in and thinking about it from the very beginning. Like if we're going to do this, how can we do it in a way where we know we're providing a safe space for people to go? So. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's, for us, it just makes so much sense to do that because there, you know, obviously there's, there's the health and the, and that justice portion of it. And then there's also these ideas of, you know, trying to look at shared equity um, and a lot of these things, creative financing that put us in a position to actually be uh, essentially co-owners with, with the, um, with the, with the property owner. And, you know, we want to make that as easy of a property management and rental situation as possible. So we want to put in durable materials. We want to put in low maintenance items. We want to put in things that are going to last. We're very invested. Uh, not, not to say that other builders are not, um, but I think it's pretty typical to see a, a one, you know, a one year kind of a, a builder's warranty on a property or something like that. Um, and we're looking at it from a perspective of, okay, well, we more than likely are going to be co-owning this with this individual for the next five, 10, 15 years, whatever it is. And so, we're going to, out of necessity, we, we don't want to, you know, have an issue of faulty HVAC equipment or um, windows that have, you know, some slow leak somewhere, some 
vapor issue somewhere or whatever that creates this issue, you know, seven years down the road or whatever. So it's imperative for us if we're going to protect our bottom line to make sure that we build it right. Um, well, you know, and you're seven both, years from now, we yeah, can be screwed. <laughs> right. You, you're both protecting your investment, right? That you've invested yeah. this, you know, in into this thing. But you're also... Um, I had someone say to me once, there's never enough money to do it right the first time, but there always seems to be enough money for us to come back and fix it. Like, no, there's yeah. not. Let's stop thinking about it in that way. Like, even mm -hmm. if it takes a little bit more time or a little bit, like the first one, yeah. I mean, it probably took you a long time to put together that first house and then you undid it and you did it again. And it didn't take as long the second time because you learned so much the first time you did, you know, and so like, you said you've been doing a new iteration every time because you've learned. You're like, okay, this was either really hard or that didn't come together the way we thought it was. Or like, hey, after we put this up, the tenant called us up and was like, hey, it's super drafty around blah, 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 window, door, baseboard, whatever it was, right? And so you're getting that feedback because you're staying invested in these properties, which is good because that means that every step of the way you can make it. And you know, you might be reevaluating your project, but you're not designing a whole new house every time. At least I hope not. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of saying like, okay, we have this, here's our core piece. These are the four or five things that didn't go well. This is what we changed. Okay. Now these two or three things could be better or in the pandemic. I mean, you guys started a business in the pandemic, go you, nothing is available. So, you know, then you have to make a shift. You're like, okay, what can I get available in my market right now? You know, and the, the downside was so frustrating to me uh, in the Northeast. I don't know if we just like make a bigger fuss about it or what, but we have access to a lot of natural materials, but we were talking to, I was at a building science conference recently. We were talking to someone who was like, yeah, I was building a house in Texas and you know, they told me it was going to be $12,000 more to put cellulose in than spray foam. And I'm like, how is that even possible? Like cellulose is recycled newspaper. It shouldn't be that much more expensive, whatever. And the answer was they literally didn't want to do it because we had somebody from Texas stand up and say, we have a cellulose manufacturing plant in Texas. Like we make it in Texas. Like if there should be no reason why you don't do it, they just don't want to, you know? And so like for you guys too, what I love to see with your sustainability is like advocacy, right? Like we unfortunately have to ask for better things for our homeowners and that stinks because it doesn't mean you can't get it. It just, nobody's doing it, you know? And so, um, so you're going to get a lot of that feedback because you'll stay partnered with these projects and you'll learn a lot of that really important information, which is, you know, you never know why people build bad things, but maybe they don't know they're building bad things or they don't realize it because they only have that one year warranty. They don't have to come back on any of this. They can't, granted, we can't guarantee what homeowners are going to do. So I would say sometimes in your rentals, it is good to plan in things that people can't change. Um, one of the biggest things that we found, um, that was kind of an unfortunate situation. Um, and it's, it's pro back going to putting in something that's like loud or whatever is people used to turn the bathroom fans off all the time, like unwire them. So the timer switch didn't go off and then we would have mold issues. And then because they it's actually a, unwired them. Yeah. They unwired, like we put them on timer switches that were behind the switch plates. Yeah. So it literally came on like by itself and they would unwire them. I mean, this is like, I don't even like wow. to unwire things and I work in this industry, but there are some pretty like crafty homeowners, right? They would unwire them, then we would get mold, but they were in a rental, so they didn't want to tell you they had an issue, and then the mold would get worse, right? Until then you have, like, you have, but so it just goes back to the whole education thing. Even if you're not doing, like, YouTube videos and telling or whatever, like, just educating your homeowners when they're living in the space, like, here's the couple of things you need to pay attention to. I think that had they not gone with the cheapest bath fan that they could install that was like loud and sounded like, you know, a jet engine, mm -hmm. they probably wouldn't have unwired them. Like if it was quiet and it didn't make a lot of noise, you just wouldn't notice, right? And then it would have done its thing. And, you know, but <laughs> it's just, it's to me, a fat, like I just love learning about it. I think I'm just going to be like a forever learner on like, how do we do this? What's our behavior in these spaces? What is good? When have you gone 
far enough, right? Because we're also talking about, you know, climate change and the things that are affecting some of these vulnerable communities as well, like really a lot worse than other places. And so it's like, well, I don't want to just spray foam this whole house and create all this, you know, additional issues that then it gets taken apart and sent to a landfill that lives there forever that leaches into the ground and causes contaminants and groundwater and like i mean it's a whole bigger picture so yeah i think um it's been it's definitely been a process to, to figure out a lot of the different things uh that that will work and that make for a higher quality of of, of life within the space um, and those improve health outcomes and things like that. And it, it gets to point to a point for me, I look at it and some of these things, I'm just like, where's the line between like, uh, this is a, this is like a, a perk or like an upgrade. And right. this is actually really like, should be like a right at some point, like, yeah. should people have a right to like have quality indoor air? Yeah. I mean, we have, we, 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 we regulate and the government steps in when it comes to outdoor air quality, but there aren't a whole lot of indoor air quality standards. And this is a place that tends to affect health more than others. And so it's just interesting for me to think about some of these things that we want to do that have increased costs and where the line is between, is it an upgrade or is it, is it something that should be, you know, like I said, a, you know, by right kind of thing. And is there, a, is there a role there for city local government state whatever to step in and provide some some uh some money based on like some of these historical issues as far as like if you want to call it reparations or, or whatever as far as to like how can we we're focusing we're targeting on a particular community um and we want to make these changes but you know currently it's not a price point that works how how can we how can we get subsidies subsidize you know like partner you know, are there partnerships? Like, how do we do this? And so that's what we're trying to figure out. I think that's a lot of a lot of what we are looking to grow into. Yeah, I think I, that's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just I was just gonna say like building a net zero house that has like impeccable air quality and that is like perfectly like that's just more expensive. It's more expensive to do. And going back to when you said I don't know why people build crappy things, I think so much of it has to do with incentive structures and like we as human creatures are going to move where we are incentivized to move. And so if my capital and my bank account says that making this decision is going to be what's best for my survival, I'm going to make that decision. If it means like skimping on like the type of OSB or like, if it means skimping on like, am I going to use like a regular like paint or drywall in the bathroom, or am I going to use the mold resistant anti-mildew resistant uh, board? Right? Like those different decisions are going to be impacted by the money and I, I say this as somebody who like received some money to build some houses and it was a very small amount of money for like because it needed to be affordable and I'm like having to now make those decisions like what are we going to do and well, and, and they're yes, ahead, diametrically please. opposed your two your two ideas here because what we're saying is that we put a bunch of money into product industry that created products that now need to be ventilated because we can't contain all these things that like we need to build tighter houses because the houses don't need to breathe they need to dry but the occupants need to breathe and now we've taken mold resistant drywall which is like okay great we don't want it to grow mold but what have we put in it so that it won't grow mold right and now i need to ventilate whatever i've put in it so that it won't grow mold right and it's like who's who's responsible for these things right like i mean like for me, I've been kind of really on this kick about healthy building materials because healthy building materials shouldn't cost more than the other things. And if we knew how to kind of put them together so that they dried and didn't create other issues, would we ever have gotten to the point where we created mold resistant drywall, which is more expensive because it needs to do things that because we haven't decided to understand how the science of our buildings work, we've created other I mean, things. Like, it's just... And good luck with making those decisions, right? Because it has to be affordable. You have to be able to get into it, but you also can't fill it full of stuff that you then have to try to ventilate. But can you ventilate enough of it to make sure that it's, you know, we're not going to unfortunately solve our indoor air quality issues only with ventilation, except for if ventilation is in the code. Nobody does it. So like, 
Now, not I mean, only are we think- not going to solve it with ventilation, we're still not doing ventilation anyway. So we're creating bigger issues. Like, it's just crazy. And, and I wonder if there's a, a place somehow, if, if we can get to the point where it's, we value, um, or we understand the value and cost for these chronic health conditions on our right. public infrastructure um, and recognize that there is a, a upfront savings if you, I mean, it's just like your, you know, if you have health insurance and it incentivizes uh, preventative healthcare um, by making it free. Um, you know, are there ways that once again, all these local, regional, whatever jurisdictions can recognize the cost to them of the health impacts and can they just say oh let's upfront you know same thing you were talking about before like we found money to fix it at the end but not to fix it for cheaper at the beginning um is there is there a, something in there that, that that exists that we can work yeah. on i 100 percent agree with that in the same with preventative health care and all this stuff is like we you know, we're now learning that our structures have a big impact on this. So are there ways that we can do that? And the thing that's most frustrating to me is like, you know, I'm big on the energy efficiency. Obviously we should use less if we can use less, but that's not always the right answer for us. And ventilation systems are kind of my, my big pet peeve now is like, you just, I think that people should have access to that quality of indoor air. Right. And our efficiency programs don't incentivize that because it doesn't have an efficiency payback because they're not looking at the payback to what it costs for healthcare to get treated for chronic mold, allergies, asthma, you know, poor sleep, poor, you know, motor functions. Because I think the rule was like was something like we spent 90% of our time indoors, but I think now with the pandemic, it's probably more like 97% of our time indoors, right? Like we just were inside and the same structure, right? Like a lot more people used to go to an office where in commercial buildings, they have not always good, but they're supposed to do more, yeah. you know, with ventilation. Now you might work from home, which means you may not like... There are days I don't go outside of my house, right? Like I work from my home office. I'm at home. You cook dinner. You do all that stuff. Like you're now stuck in this structure all day long. Well, what happens if that structure has an issue? Like, but there's no incentive because it's not tied to some kind of weird efficiency, even though it's what we should be doing for health and safety. Like just... How do we get them to incentivize that? That's what I want to know. But I also have this problem with the real estate market that also does not um, does not value building better things either. Right. <laughs> education. I mean, we're back. Right. We're back to education, right? So right. it all comes back to education, I think. <laughs> More, you know, like uh, my wife, she works in the birth work space. She's a birth doula, and um, like I learned recently uh, from her, uh, not recently, like a couple months ago, she was telling me that like. Uh, plugins that like have sense and these different things they have phytoestrogens and these phytoestrogens mimic estrogen in a woman's body and can lead to infertility and all of these things and like we've had an uptick in like women who need to have IVF or these different things in order to have babies when they want to have babies and the things that we created in our like particular system and you get commercials for like various plugins and different things that make us want our things to smell a certain way and like then that like cycles back and there's no thought that like oh the stuff in my house might be affecting my hormones and my biology and i mean like the things we're talking about are like just such a big scale that yeah like how do you get policymakers to to change these things and and my mind goes back to to education yes but also to storytelling and to incentivizing people to like tell stories so that we know of these things right because like once you know of things you're going to be affected by them um there's this awesome book i read came out like a couple years ago by diane lind um called brave new home and in that book she kind of like it gives a history of housing in america and like how we used to have like kind of commercial and residential housing all kind of mixed together and how like housing was just like this hodgepodge thing and then through racism and other issues, like we created single family zoning and all these different things. And I'm like butchering her book. I'm also forgetting the point I initially wanted to make 
about it. It has to do with health outcomes, and it's totally gone. But read the book. There's something about health and how it's in there that I know is a good point that completely left my mind as I spoke. So if it comes back, I will share it, but I don't have it anymore. That's great. It's one of the things I used to do in the beginning of the podcast when I uh, used to record weekly was ask people for book recommendations because I'm a reader. I love to read and I love to read all kinds of things. And my family laughs at me like I literally text them this this week that I'm reading a book about garbage and they're like, who are you? I'm like, this is fascinating. You guys got to learn this. You got to know this. Like, (laughs) yes, yes. Okay, I'm going to plug another book because I'm reading a book right now called Freedom Dreams. Mm-hmm. by um i think his name is rg kelly is the author and the subheading of it is the black radical imagination and basically it's about the role of imagination in activism and um yeah community organizing and social change type work and so the stuff that we're talking about like how to change the minds and and not even change the minds but open the minds of millions of people to realities that they live with that they are unaware that these things that they live with are affecting their bodies right um opening their minds to that reality so that they can go about and change the things right and it and it does it through the lens of like kind of black activist movements through history different afrofuturist ideas about like you know moving to mars or moving back to africa or like or various things or like creating within yourself an interior castle that you can kind of retreat to when you need that rest and it's just a really beautiful read and and for me as somebody who like gets involved in like the minutiae like we were talking like ryan and i were like really just talking about just various foundation designs whether we want to do like a we hate vented crawl spaces but whether we want to do an enclosed crawl space or a completely open crawl space and how we want to make sure that moisture and air are not like you know and so we were having that conversation and we have those conversations but then also not forgetting the big imaginative conversations that guide the vision of the world that we want to live in, right? And so it's kind of about the connection of those two things, which is like super up my alley. And I highly recommend to like anybody and everybody. It's super good. Yeah, no, that's a great one. But we can talk for a minute about crawl spaces. Don't do vented crawl spaces. They're almost always a bad idea. So just like totally skip it. Your, yes. your foundation should be either all inside or all outside. Whichever one you choose, go for it, right? I mean, if you're talking about saving money, saving the environment too, probably all outside is going to be better depending on... Now, I preface that with you're going to need to know what your soils are, what you can handle, you know, how you can hold it up. There may be a case, you know, in some... Uh, I. Travis, who is on BS and beer with me, you know, we always have this debate because I'm like (laughs) anti-basement. I was like, people don't need basements. Like it's specific, whatever. And he's like, I live in the Midwest. We have tornadoes. How about that? And I was like, okay, you might need basements, but like, does everybody need a basement? So it comes down to the soils, the type of soils you have or whatever, but as we're trying to cut concrete, especially out of residential, like, do we really need as much concrete in residential? Can we save concrete, which is a high carbon emissions producer for our commercial buildings where we absolutely have to use it? Like where there aren't always other options and Mm -hmm. can we do other systems, you know? And then you just got to, know how all of it works or comes together but yeah as far as the foundation goes either all inside or all outside that's right the the first four houses we built were all outside just all like post and beam foundations completely open um with like lattice to protect it from like creatures and stuff and it was so funny that like people would like drive by have conversations like is that legal are you allowed to just have it (laughs) open and i'm like yes like this is a thing that, that you can do but we've just built something a certain like in north carolina we've done vented crawl spaces typically for i mean ryan probably knows like the exact amount of time but like it feels like as far as i can look back at houses it seems like that's what was done and there have been like mold and moisture issues for as long as it's been done but people are just like yeah this is how we do it because it's not inside it's not outside so it's not conditioned and it's not totally unconditioned you know and there is a downside right too because you talk about lattice and screening and things Mm -hmm. underneath things too right that's also a thing that depending on where you are and what you have you know in your city or density you also don't want things to live underneath your things you know so i mean like so there are valid points to to like inside or outside but it goes back to that building science um you know it's just at this building science symposium one of the people who was speaking is a mechanical guy he talks a lot about this he's like i've never seen a well done vented crawl space he lives in georgia right so mm-hmm. he's like they just like it 
it's not a like it shouldn't be a thing it's a thing in a lot of places but it shouldn't be a thing because it's not it's basically we're going to give enough ventilation to create moisture in this space and then to get dense on something that's semi-conditioned and kept cold and create mold and grow on all these things like it's just yeah so so i can understand why you had the debate <laughs> about that it's like how do we do it what's the best way here what's yeah. you know how do we solve this and you know what can we use that makes the most sense yeah it's it's huge because you, you really start to look at that and when you're trying to build uh, i mean you have to look at the holistic cost impact so if you mm -hmm. went to <clears throat> if you go from a um, entirely open crawl to a, an enclosed and encapsulated crawl space. Well, now you just, your costs have changed, right? So you've got the same floor system, but now you have a different um, issue as far as you're going to have a vapor barrier. You're going to have to encapsulate. Now you're going to have to either dehumidify or supply some conditioned air somehow. Yep. If you're using ductless, you know, typically we're shooting to use um, a ductless option to you know to increase our energy even even further um or at least a mini split um uh as a bare minimum um you know it's like oh it looks like we're doing some some dehue down there and now it's like okay well we're on this this tight budget so are we spending the thousand dollars to get a you know a real legit crawl space style dehumidifier or are we spending 150 bucks on a consumer unit that it's probably going to last for not that long and and we're just going to right but we can buy last. 10 of them for the same price you know exactly. it's like it's tough and and then then you move into like okay well now my electrician and my plumber have access in a different way versus if i did um you know so if i have the humidifier down there and i have conditioned encapsulated crawl space my plumber has a completely different world to live in than if i have a completely wide open uh, 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 non-existent, you know, crawl space, right? Or if, you know, if we even went to a slab, if we go to a slab, now we've eliminated our lumber for our flooring, but we have that trade-off where we've traded a much more renewable resource for a, you know, less and more carbon intensive, you know, kind of situation. Um, it also affects how the plumbers and everyone work uh, in the, in that, in that system in the, not just now, but also you know, for install, but in the future for maintenance and things. So yep. it's a, it's a, a lot, it's a lot. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, like Topher mentioned about these iterations um, that we're doing, like, this is all the stuff that, that falls into those iterations is, um, you know, what makes the most, it, it always, almost always, I should say, ends up being, you know, the financial bottom line is going to win for us most of the time but we're going to try to keep our eye on those other things to, to see if we can get a win, you know, in more than just one, one area. Yeah. Well, and what I'd love to see, um, so, uh, one, uh, one of the women that I know and work with up here, um, builds tiny homes. Um, but her background was in process engineering for car facilities. Right. And so she has this whole idea about building like little micro, factories like all over like little production facilities like it was so cool if you could build your floor systems with like the plumbing already in it by somebody in like a oh, tiny yeah. little warehouse or something and that you could have sort of systems or kits that would go together which may help or solve some of these you know things for you in the long term right it's just it's just like anything like if you could buy something in bulk maybe you could get it for a better price but then you have to have right. a place to store it well then that place to store it it offsets the cost of whatever you save for getting like it's it's this whole balance and and budget will always win right budget will always be the driving factor in in everything like there'll just be a point at which you can't afford to do more so it's like what can we afford to do in the right way that makes the most sense you know yeah and i, I really like the idea of this panelized concept and I, I think we'd like to eventually get there i think for us, we kind of have, there's two tracks inside of this. There's, there's working and perfecting this construction and this product track. Um, and then there's also this wealth creation, um, and, you know, trying to do our, whatever we can about these inequities and things like that kind of track. Um, and so 
we often get pulled both ways and 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 have a two paths forward essentially on, on sure. both of those. So sure. right, and I like and like the big vision originally was like a like yeah a big warehouse that panelized and could deliver all these things, and then on the back end a software that managed all of the different parts like investor, homeowner, tenant, and builder that we have like all these groups connected through a network and a homeowner wants an ADU in their backyard, that sends a message to investor and builder, money moves over to the builder and or, or like the warehouse or whatever. And that triggers the delivery of the system. People are on site putting these panels together. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> We're out of there in like two weeks. A tenant is notified. They move in. The money's automatically deducted. And you have just this like super well-oiled machine of of this whole entire housing process encapsulated into like one thing and obviously within all of that there's like a billion different pieces right um and, and, we've and so if you have five million dollars and like please. five million dollars like we need five <laughs> minimum that's huge yes um, but if it works and the initial investment is there then that means it's replicable over and over and over again right so if you've ever read any of the um uh, the e-myth books, right? Like they said, the success of McDonald's isn't necessarily that McDonald's is good, but that it's the same thing every time, right? Like if you take the time to set up the system in the beginning, however it is, like how cool would that system be? Like, I love that. It's like, bing, it sets off a series of of uh, like different things. It gets set up, it does it on its own, right? Because I feel like the easier we make it for people, the more likely people will do it which means it's a lot of work for you guys. <laughs> it's a ton of work for you guys. But once you sort of perfected or, you know, continue to make that system better, then it's something that can be replicable in other areas, right? Like you're, you're doing it, you're trialing it, you're saying this is the network, this is how we built the network, here's how the software works, here's how you connect these parts and pieces together and then that system becomes, you know, a system of just like they're starting to build um, a lot of passive house multifamily buildings, right? Because it's so much more cost effective to build passive house and multifamily. And then that means that you can have way better buildings in this thing, but they had to create like a whole system like passive house single family is like never going to be cost effective it's like not a thing but it set up a trigger reaction to something else that is you know that's able to leverage funding to do better stuff to build better buildings to do you know like but you kind of have to like do one thing first to get there you know and i think that's that's what i hear you guys are building is like you're building this like stepping stone to like get better funding to do better things to create better systems to create a better community and connection and like that's the whole thing about pretty good house this community it's all about our communities all about our local communities and working within that and create you know con connecting people right Connecting and education. Yeah. Um, what were the, well, I'm going to say one thing first, and then I'm going to go, um, now I'll go to a different question that I have for you. Um, and one is just like, also like a big thing for us is like staying lean. Um, like in our area, a nonprofit received a massive donation from um, Jeff Bezos' wife, who, who's Ms. Mackenzie Scott, is that her? Yeah, I think so. Huge donation from her. And I was like talking to one of the people in that organization about like, oh, you got all this funding, like, and they were like, yeah, most of that's going to just go to like operational budget. It's not really going to go to housing. It's going to like give us the chance to operate for a year and then like, or two years. And then some of it can go to like cool creative projects. Um, and I think about just how difficult it is as you scale. And so this is something I'm just constantly thinking about is like, how do we scale in a way where so much of the money like that, that profit can still go back into the community and to the people who need it and create wealth for the community as opposed to just our operational budget. Um, and so that, that's just like a statement um, and really just me wondering something out loud. I don't know if that's like something to comment on, but I had a question about like going back to the project that you talked about and cause you said you were about people and having people work on these projects in terms of like from like a legal angle and, and cause I've had people ask, Hey, can we come build? And my answer has been like, not sure you know like i don't know how i feel about this um but yeah like what is your like what do you allow people to do what's the training program like and what was it like to 
to start that up because I know it's something that we want to do but and I haven't had many conversations with people who who do that kind of thing so yeah so yeah, I would say I just do the design work for most of it I don't and I can't legally I don't think go and swing a hammer on this project site for exactly what you're talking about but I would look at um I can connect you with their their project department, they've been doing it for 30 years. So there's clearly ways to legally get around and it's probably because it's the homeowner's own house, right? Mm -hmm. So like, because they have some kind of financial investment or equity into it, that is theirs. But what I would tell you, because it sounds like you have a lot of people who are interested in it, is it's worthwhile talking to Habitat for Humanity to find out how they do it because they have volunteers all the time from all over. So they must have some kind of legal structure that allows people to come and with zero experience be able to work on the job site. And likely you probably have to have somebody who's physically on the job site who is like in charge, mm -hmm. right? You have some kind of that they... That, and there's probably some kind of, again, you, it sounded like you had a couple of uh, legal lawyers who wanted to kind of join in with it. I put them on this one because that would be great. You know, the community coming to help out um, would be there's probably some kind of waiver that they have to to sign and certain things that they'd be allowed to do. Like maybe they can't do everything on a job site. There might be some things that like have to be done by either a trained professional or somebody who is, you know, like plumbing and electrical generally has to be done by a trades person. You know, I mean, there are probably some parts that they could put together if somebody else is inspecting it. Um, but I would say Habitat for Humanity is extremely successful at having volunteers on their job sites all the time. So there has to be some framework that's already available. And as to your previous statement, um, also things that I totally wonder about, um, I would maybe reach out to or see if you can get in touch with uh, Co Everything. Um, I don't know if they're still in Boston, but I think they're in the Boston area. But they have this really cool idea about it's a co housing, co sharing, co financing, co like if everybody is kind of involved in that. So that it's not just like your operating budget as a nonprofit. Like, is there a way for people to buy into the idea as like this next one that we're going to do is some kind of co something or other that shares some of that financial whatever without it being to be able to keep your keep everything lean. Right. Because maybe they're I don't know how. I guess it would depend on who's coming in or who's helping out or who's doing what, or if there are certain skills that people have when they come into that relationship, but is there a way to kind of spread that out a little bit where they bring some kind of equity to the table that isn't necessarily financial so that you can spread the financial part of it out to more creative projects. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think that's a great question to throw out there. Yeah, I, th I think there's some some pieces and parts that um, that make sense to that folks can help and, and volunteer with that don't even. But I think, um, like you said, don't necessarily need to be a financial input, but can be uh, kind of empowering and yeah. um, and some ownership and different things. I, I have talked with folks on sites in the past just about. Um, providing uh, like ice and coolers and water and stuff like that for workers that are on site, um, uh, like site cleanup at the end of the day, just sweeping and bagging trash and throwing, you know, just cleaning up the site and stuff like that, which is um, more accessible work in, in a lot of ways, in a lot of cases. Yeah, or recycling or research, right? Like maybe one of the things that you have is a research project where you need to know like, like where can I where can I recycle this? Or where can I take, if, if you're doing a renovation project, like, can I take these cabinets somewhere? You know, do we have a recycling facility? Because that all of those things, you know, take time or, you know, research and development is always a thing. We talked about this. It's like, I need this, but I need this, right? You need kind of all these things is like, is there a new product on the market that's more cost effective that's trying to break into the market that they'd allow you to try, you know, for, for, um, if you publish it right so like people want to write about stories like this you know have somebody write an article and send it to the local newspaper right there's so many ways that people can be involved um for sure but yeah 
I don't know. I, I find it all fascinating. It's all these things that keep us up at night, right? <laughs> okay. So, um, do you have any other thoughts, questions, things you wanted to share? Um, I'll, I mean, not so like, yeah, so many things are kind of spinning through my head. I was like, you mentioned <laughs> R&D. And so I'm just thinking about like having a quorum R&D department and just like what that looks like. I've, I've wanted a house, affordable housing lab that would be cool and thought about like reaching out to our local like colleges and be like, Hey, we should start, you know, an affordable housing R and D and y'all just need to give us millions of dollars so that we can just research and think and like iterate and try new things. But then like, you're right though. Cause like, I mean, there's Ryan was uh, when he was contracting with that company, he mentioned they were next door to this really cool inventive plant-based building materials company that was building, um, uh plywood and i think even down to like i think they were starting to get into dimensional lumber out of this like really cool fast growing grass and they were like compressing it they developed this like this machine that compressed this grass into super strong sheeting uh material and dimensional lumber and yeah and i've just been like kind of talking to them and so is ryan about like hey when y'all are ready to test this product you know we'll build a house out of this grass just let us know um and I think they're getting funded off of like a Elon Musk grant to build like carbon negative building products. So it's like, but yeah, just knowing what those things are and having the wherewithal to do that and then getting to like the bigger of like, how do we get the larger industry as a whole to then value doing that, those kinds of things, as opposed to like, you know, a billionaire saying like, Hey, I'm going to put money towards this. So like now everybody has to, to like get everybody on board. I don't know. But this has been a super rich and fun conversation for me and has my mind spinning a bunch of different ways. So thanks for just chatting. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you talked about uh, schools and stuff, and this is one of my one of my things um, is and I don't know if you guys have any trade schools in your area. So I don't know if you have any high schools that are still doing trades. Um it, it's tough it. it's tough because unfortunately they need a lot of space and they can only have a few students so it usually ends up just being so expensive so a lot of places have done away with trade schools but even just uh you know if, if you have any architecture schools or construction schools or anything you know college high school whatever um you know my experience as far as the ones that we've had up here is they're always looking for people like us who are professionals in the field to get involved in their stuff. And so even if there's like, they have access to funding that we don't have. And so maybe it's like a class and you're like, okay, we're going to build a shed so we can test all these things because you can build this in your classroom, but I want to know X, Y, or Z. Right. So like there are, there are great partnerships out there that are potentially available or it could even just be you know for for your for your project sizes having volunteers is like have the class come out for you know a a day a week or whatever like that's great learning for them it's great for us it's one of the things that i wish um whenever people ask me they want to go to architecture school or something i'm like work for a contractor for a, a summer like it's invaluable experience and so those yeah. partnerships too i think are also really important like because like you said there's a billionaire that finances something right we got to get the market to do it to make it more cost effective till it trickles down to us where we can do it with the the you know affordable housing projects or is there a way to leverage all the other things and it makes me think about what you were talking about earlier about having all these parts and pieces that all like you know hit off of each other it's like there needs to be somebody who just thinks about all the leverage that people has and connects the dots because there has to be other creative solutions to it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's a lot of folks that are in a position to to make a lot of these connections and things like that. It's just, you know, what's the motivation and 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 for everybody involved? And um, I'm excited with the way marketing has shifted in the past decade or or decade or, or so plus to um, really empowering these content creators and things like that to um, to be opening new lanes for partnerships and things like that. So I'm, I'm excited to see like once we kind of become the full version of ourselves as a company, um, what the possibilities are as far as how that goes to look to, to partner um, with some of these manufacturers and things like that. Um, partner with uh, 
different you know professionals across the country, across the globe, um, to be able to, to do a lot of idea exchanging and, and build on different things. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you guys sharing what you're doing. I think it's awesome. You clearly have discovered a need in your market that needs to be fulfilled and you're trying to come up with creative solutions to do it. It was a real pleasure having Ryan and Topher on the show with Quorum Houses. Check out what they're up to and what they're doing. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. I apologize that it was a week late this month, um, but it was worth the wait. I think this was an awesome show, and I hope you guys learned a lot about what they're doing to uh, help with equity and housing and affordable housing in their neighborhood. So check them out, quorumhouses.org, and I will see you next month. <laughs>